History for Fools. Bush Escobar. What's up? Felipe Esparza. Before we even start, don't forget to subscribe to the, of course, to, to this channel. <laughs> subscribe subscribe to the channel, to the podcast. The podcast. Also, what is your Instagram? We didn't mention it last time. At Butch Escobar. Any more questions you need about anything? Bush, your man. Don't Google it. Ask Butch. That should be a hashtag. Ask Butch. Ask Butch. I don't know about that. <laughs> that's a lot of. That sounds like a lot of pressure for me. <laughs> History for fools. I hope you guys liked the last episode. We dug in deep and we pretty much covered what we could remember. Yeah, most of vaudeville, I would say. Um, I went home and I thought about a few things that we might have missed. Uh, and and that because there's so many elements, and this is the weird, this is the hard part about doing a podcast like this, is that there's so many crossovers between the different genres because comedy, American stand-up comedy, spans vaudeville all the way till now, but there's so many crossovers because there's a lot of guys that were in vaudeville like George Burns, um, Eddie Cantor. Uh, Milton Berle that started out in vaudeville and then made the crossover. So, so we're gonna do a lot of that. Uh, doing a lot of that throughout the podcast. Radio too, or just vaudeville? They all like all the guys that I just mentioned right now started in vaudeville, and there was a period of time where as vaudeville was rising, there was also the more dirtier shows because you know if we talk about working blue, right? You know the the reference to working blue. Yeah, um, I think um, Keith, Keith Alby from the Orpheum. The Keith, yes, the circuit, Keith, Keith Alby circuit. They would, um, I guess, they would go over your, go over your set, and they'll send you an envelope, and in the envelope, there was a blue. It was, a, it was written in blue paper. Right. It was typed with your material to take out of the bits. Yeah. And that's how it became. It was labeled blue material. Working blue, and if you work too blue, or if you work too blue too many times, or if you wanted to just work blue. Uh, you would funny go to know how the reference of that came from, huh? People say, "Oh man, he works too blue." Yeah, like, he didn't even know why they th why they why, why you say it. Well, it, it's it's that thing has like made itself all the way over. I remember, remember, remember when the Playboy Channel. What if you're a Norteño and they tell you, bro, you're working blue? <laughs> then you kill yourself? <laughs> I, I, I told that to Birdman one time. He took it personal. <laughs> Birdman, the comedian from San Jose, and he was working blue. And he's from Northern California. And I forgot that. He's he a Norteño. Yeah. yeah, he got all sad. <laughs> so after that, he just quit. <laughs> Did he, he quit comedy or he quit the Norteños? I don't know, man. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so yeah, that was the thing. That's the term, working blue. I remember the HBO um, had, when uh, not HBO, Playboy Channel. Had Playboy a, Channel. Had that like squiggly lines. And if, you know, and I would go into my parents' room and watch it in the daytime. And there was a show called Electric Blue. And, Electric Blue. Yeah, and it was like in reference to working blue, being dirty. And then for the longest time, I would hear working blue or people would be like, oh, you work blue. What the fuck does that even mean? And then now this, you know, as we are doing this, it's uncovered that it, it was, this is what you need to take out of your material. This is unacceptable. And again, as we said in the last um, podcast, the, 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 the Keith Albee Orpheum circuit banked itself off of working in, in like very Christian 
holy circuits where like you know so they were you had to be very clean to be doing those uh shows but a lot of people who didn't do those or didn't want to do those they ended up in the in the burlesque circuit and it wasn't those were like like burlesque and strip joints are two different things and that's what we're going to talk about because like burlesque was like the uh the twirly titty thing yeah 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 and then the burlesque was um no burlesque was a twirly twitty titty thing who were the twirlies and um what were they called again someone's gonna type in what they were called but that was where you would go and so like burlesque was kind of like it sounds like to me from what i read um was that this was uh like kind of a purgatory for comedians and and so you were just stuck there and we'll talk about this more later but this is where abbott and costello kind of first come in because they worked the burlesque scene you know, and, right uh, before radio became very popular. Right here in Los Angeles, California, where I'm from, one of the last burlesque theaters was 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 on on, on Hill Street on on um, on I would say it was on Fifth and and Fifth and Hill, and it was um, it was a popular one. There was a chain of these. Uh, it, was, it was actually one of the burlesque clubs that was a chain. And I and I wish I could remember the name. There was a chain of burlesque clubs. Yes, and there was one here in LA, right there on Fifth and Hill. It's a subway now. It was a club, bro. It was like a play. It was it was competing with the Playboy Mansion, and Playboy clubs. You know, people were dressed up, and um, the girl and um, when it was, when I, when it was in its heydays, and it was way, way before. Um, you gotta keep in mind, people, at these burlesque shows. There was no, it wasn't like. So, like, so, uh, yeah, these aren't like bare naked, like, you know. And there was like, it wasn't like now, you know, like. High heel champagne George Perez, comedian George Perez working at his club and going, ladies and gentlemen, are you guys ready? And then he'll play the music. Right. There was no DJ, people. There was no record player. Right. And even when there was a record player, they were playing records as strip bars. Was it like a band? They had an actual band. That's so crazy, dude. So when Burlesque died, yeah. the band had to go somewhere else, too. Right. So the band will play. If you want to look at a nice scene where there's a band playing and there's a girl dancing, it's um, the odd couple. The first 15 minutes when uh, Felix Unger is was walking around Manhattan, New York with a, with a broken heart, he walks into one of... One of these clubs. Uh, you worked in a burlesque, sort of. Uh, no, you worked a strip club before, right? No, no bro. Did you do the storytelling show? In a. Oh yes, I did the. I did a. I did a show. This um, is not no, happening. This is not happening at Cheetahs, and that's a. That's a, a bar, a, a strip bar. That's a strip club, right? Yeah. But Full you've. Alcohol. But you've never worked in a strip club like as a comic or anything like that. No, man, just at the John. <laughs> Just as a as a regular goer, do you like? Because I, I always imagine, and I I feel like that's something that should be brought back, like a like like wouldn't it be dope if there were burlesque shows with comics in between? I did one with um, Sam Tripoli. Sam okay. Tripoli had a had a room. Comedian Sam Tripoli, he had a room over there at the. It was called the um, the Safari Room on Sunset. Okay, and um, he had a full on burlesque show. With two comedians, and you have to be dressed up to come in. Like everybody had to, all the men. You had, had to, to look wear, sharp. Had to look sharp, and the women had to look good. So me and me and Lisa got dressed up. I wore my tie. I got my. I, I had a suit that was fitted, 
And there was a woman who actually danced and she stripped. Right. And there was a a, a guy who impersonated Prince exactly. Oh wow! Yeah, and there was a like, and he came in between the, the strippers between. as well. Yeah. What was the reception? Well, this is a burlesque show, so kind of, and then it's like it's billed also as a as a comedy show because I, I also no, wonder comedians only like like I, I I wonder what it was like to be. Mm. No, but that's another one, bro. Foley's. Foley's. Foley's yeah. was a burlesque. I yeah, did remember Foley's. hearing that. And so was um um the, the right there on Hollywood Boulevard, the Frolic Bar. It was a, was a burlesque, but it's just a bar now. What and about the there, Clown Bar over the, in? The, yeah, the Clown Bar is. That's and where the, uh, and the Jumbo Room. The Jumbo Room. That's what I was talking about is. in in Thai Town. Yeah, the Jumbo Room is. And what's her name? Used to work there. Kurt Cobain's wife. Yeah. Came out of there. Courtney uh, Love. Courtney Love, that's right. So Jay Leno did strip bars, right? Not burlesque. No, and that's the thing is like I um like when we talk about strip bars and burlesque, there's like, cause cause what happened is is that comics worked burlesque. Burlesque died with with vaudeville. <clears throat> then there's radio, TV, and in between somewhere is working strip clubs. That's where Lenny Bruce Bur got started. A lot of guys like that. Bur burlesque. There were like those clubs that were open, like, um, cause they were, they were open during Prohibition, huh? That's when um, I read that um, when Prohibition started, that's when was when um, the dirtier comedy was starting, right? Like real blue shit. Yes, we already pasties, pasties. That's what they're called, pasties. Pasties, and then there was like these, you know, and I mean, they, I've seen them. My girlfriend used to do burlesque, so. There are these little tassels with like sticky things on the end. They go over the nipples and it covered the nipples. But that was nudity back then. That was like a strip joint. It might as well have been a strip joint. So that theater, that burlesque theater I was talking about, it was called, and it had no shame about it. And it was a, it was called the Pussycat Theater. Get out of here. And there was a pussycat on the on the side where the where the P was like this, and and, um, and it just called the Pussycat Theater and. Um, it was a competition to the Playboy Theater, the Playboy Mansion Club, you know. Really. And then they they did their, they did their thing, bro. And they had um they had di it was dinner, drinks, burlesque, and magicians like probably back in the day. But then later on, bro, that Fifth and Hill got really really seedy, bro. Right. Like, cause it was right right next to Persian Square, Persian Park. Okay. And so, yeah, over the Pussycat Theater, it was right there on Fifth and Hill, which is now... A was subway. that like a bad part of town? Or? Not, back then, yeah. It still yeah. is, you know, because that's where, the, where most of the buses meet. Okay. So it's always going to be like that. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about burlesque, and, and I wonder how long that place existed before it disappeared. And I wonder how long it was there before, because that's something else that maybe we could do on uh, future episodes of um, History for Fools is talk about the trajectory of burlesque to strip joints. Because it kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about. Well, because, what came first? Well, I feel like burlesque did come first. And I think burlesque was, our, was their answer to um, like strip joints back then. Because like, man, I, I feel like even if you showed a little ankle back then, it was crazy. And so it was like risque and like, you know, and, you know, women weren't a, like, it, it's, it's really weird, man. Cause I've been watching a lot of, um, like Miss Maisel, the, the, what's the name of that show? The Fabulous Miss Maisel. Yeah. The Fabulous Miss Maisel. And 
it doesn't it, it I didn't realize how much has changed since then. I mean, we know a lot has changed since then. But women, you know, were frowned upon for getting divorced, women were frowned upon for being out by themselves, you know, and and so to be in a in a place where you have you know little little pasties over your nipples and you're wearing almost basically nothing and and you're performing in this place is probably like the worst thing you could be doing and pretty much an outlaw right you're pretty much an outlaw uh, and because there was also so many vagrancy rules back then that were being broken are not vagrancy rules like um uh i don't know what they called it back then but like using bad language loitering loiter um yeah stuff like that no loitering is kind of hanging around fuck i'm having a hard time finding the words um but you you know so chilling you had to, yeah, basically, you had to be careful. So comics who, so comics who didn't, uh, who didn't make it in the Keith, um, um, so, uh, so you're saying right now that Albi circuit, if that ha- if that was going on right now, you mean to tell me that thirty comedians that were hanging out on a Sunday open mic at the punchline would get arrested that night? They would get arrested that night. They would, yeah, especially if they were working blue. And so they would go to these burlesques, they would perform. Decency laws, that's what I'm talking about. So there's a lot of decency laws. Man, I love that, that we, <laughs> we have all these references because I don't, like, I, I, I could read as much as I can, but I don't have it in my head sometimes, uh, the, all the marijuana I've smoked. There's so many hidden laws in, in, in performing because some of these laws are still out there. Right. But every once in a while, they'll pull it, they'll pull it out to make an example of somebody. Cause um, there's a law, there's a law like um, there's a law about um, bringing drugs and then that person dies, you know. Right. And they, 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 they I saw the, the Len Bias law. Len Bias law. Len Bias. I think he was he was a guy that, that was supposed to go to the Celtics, and he smoked a lot of crack that day, and then the, the, the night the next day he had a heart, he OD'd. Oh no. And um, so they went after the people that brought the drugs. To the house. Oh, so you go after the so that law still exists, right? You and, go after the supplier. Yeah. Okay. So what happens now if um, a woman that I saw on TikTok, she goes, she was telling me, this is how I got, she was telling me this is how I went to prison, and then she said because the land buyers law, they just threw it at her because they want to make an example of her. So they're using the old laws to go after people from those times. Let's not go to the, go. Um, Ask the drug dealer. Go after the person that brought the drug to the house. Right, totally. So that and that's like so. That's the thing is they they using these laws because we've had the First Amendment since before the times that we're talking about. And you think about freedom of speech now, and everybody's losing their shit over freedom of speech. You literally could get arrested for talking about fucking. You could literally get arrested for talking about pussy, ass, tits, whatever it was. You could go to jail for that. Funny how um, the um, the vaudeville theaters, you know, they would have this long list of of stuff you can't talk about. Uh, don't no double entendres. Right. Um, don't make jokes about sex. No sexual or anything. No no sexual innuendo jokes. At some point, Segway was. Segway. Ca- they they said yeah. that they felt that Segway was no sounded, tags. Yeah, it sounded provocative to say Segway or to yeah. use Segway, so they couldn't actually have Segway on the um, um, on the bill. And no making fun of the president, whatever. whatever yeah, you could, that was totally back then. That and, was, a, and another one right now. Well, that that was that was surprising me was. No jokes about Arabs. 
That one was a weird one. I saw that. Because I know, like, uh, from hanging out, watching television, watching I Love Lucy, I Love Lucy, and watching the old shows from the black and white era, and then talking to my wife sometimes, going to Iraq in Iran, in Saudi Arabia, back then, was the thing to do. It was a vacation spot. It was a vacation spot. People were going to Iraq, Baghdad... Iran. It hadn't Saudi been. Uh, it hasn't even been. It hadn't been conservatively Muslim at that time. It was, but it was like it was Muslim still at the time. Right. But it, everything was cool, you know. It was this before World War Two. So er, talking about Arabs, because Arabs are from a place that we go visit. It, it would be considered. It was like going. It's, it's like you go to Hawaii all the time, but don't do jokes about Hawaiians. That's so weird. Because people were traveling to Iran. The the people who had money right. were going to Cuba to party. Right. The people who had money were going to um, Barbados. They were going to um, Iran, bro. It's surprisingly to think that people were going to Iran to party. To party days. and hang out. Well, I, I have seen, you know, because of, like, stuff that's happened in the news lately, you know, you see pictures of Afghanistan in, like, the 40s and the 50s. And it looks like like our forties and fifties. And in Ethiopia too, man. Like when I watched the Anthony Bourdain show, and then, then I looked it up from back in the days. They had a big jazz scene in the sixties, out there in Ethiopia. Like oh wow! Before that, the dictator took it's took it's power. a um it's a very interesting that's a very interesting um, accoutrement to this because it's like. You, you think about comedy, you don't think about Arabs, you don't think about Arab vacations, you don't think about all the stuff we just talked about because right now. I had to know why they said, no jokes about Arabs. And now, pretty much, they get the green light. Now. Yeah, I mean, it's, and, and that's the thing now is that, like, that I realize is like, because I mean, I had a really hard time in the beginning because I worked blue. I don't necessarily work blue anymore. Did I they ever tell you, you work with a comedian, you gotta work clean. My name is Keith Alby. Fuck, dude. Do you know how many times you had to skirt around that to like? With, the funny thing is, too, man, is like because we still get you have to work clean. By there's very few people. It's not as much as when I started 18, 17 years ago. Uh, you know where everybody was like, you have to work clean. And then even at some point, like a veteran comic was like, bro, you have to come up with a clean set. Where I just came up with my set and took all the fucks out of it. It's funny, man. Like you ever work with a uh, with a comic that tells you to work clean so he can work all blue? Yep, I've had that happen. I've had that. And then there's that there's um there's a man who books shows in Reno who will tell you to go clean, 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 clean. Don't forget you got to work clean. Remember to work clean. Don't. Hey, did, did I tell you you need to work clean? And then he throws up two bringers and then they curse through the whole thing. And it's like, why, why the fuck am I being clean if your bringers are like able to like curse and? What, I, what, what, I, what I don't like and what bothers me to this day is when you're at a showcase and there's a comic that wants to go up before you because you work blue. I mean, have you had that happen? Yeah, that's crazy. I had comedians tell me, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm, I, I gotta, I'm doing a showcase right now. Can I go up before you? Cause I, I gotta, I gotta do a clean set." I would, that would always bother me like when is the best time to do a clean set right because if you're funny it shouldn't matter it shouldn't matter man because before like 
if I had an opener, he'll do like a a, a, a hardcore dick joke. And, and if it was hilarious, I would not say nothing. Right. But if it was like, ah, oh, and there was more ooze and a laugh, I will, I will bring that comedian, you know, I would say, listen, bro. I said, you, you should um, drop that joke and let, let the people like you first. Right. Then throw it in there. Then throw it in later. That joke is making you look like a big asshole. And that's one of the things that I did realize, too, in my time was that, you got to get them to like you first. And it's kind of like sales. You, you sell yourself. Like I remember being in sales and they would go, sell yourself first, get them to like you, and then they'll buy anything off of you. And it's kind of the same thing with comedy. Get them to like you, get them to love you, and then you can take them anywhere. And that's funny what they say about um, on, that, on, on that book by the author. Cliff Nesteroff. He said that um, while vaudeville was clean, it bred discontent. It did. Because those comedians were party animals. And it's funny how these comedians follow the trend. Like back then, like Bob, the, the people before Bob Hope, they, every comedian had to have a cigar. Right. That was like a, like a prop. Like you, you, you say the joke and nobody laugh. Right. And George Burns will puff in. Yeah, it was like um, our answer. Like I do the same thing with, uh, well, it's not necessarily, but that's not with necessarily your ranch the same water, thing. Right? I, yeah, I use my ranch water. <laughs> Ranch water. I use my drink to like space my my timing. So when you see like when you see comics taking a drink, it's, this is like a trade secret. I don't know if it's like magicians where you're not allowed to share, but a lot of times when comics are taking a drink, it's so they can pace themselves. It's not because they're thirsty. I never told anybody this, but I, when I was open micing at the um, right there at the Hollywood hotel at the Hollywood hotel right there on Highland, they yeah. would do comedy on Sundays. Comedy at Waldo's. And um, bro, I had their op- I had their coffee houses for like two weeks, so um, I went up on stage with a cup of coffee, and I sat down, okay, on a chair, and I did my jokes. And later, and the guy that runs the comedy show, he's not even a comedian. His dad sings, you know, he's not a comedian. He's right. a DJ. Yeah, it's usually the case. He said at this, his true colors came out. Felipe, what are you doing up there, man? Drinking coffee up there, trying to be like a white comic. He goes, that ain't you. <laughs> that ain't you. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine you now? Like, were you trying something new? Was it just you trying something new, or were you trying something that for that night? I was trying to hide the fact that I was dumb. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to be more soft. You tried to go. I did the same thing with a with a blazer. Someone suggested blazer looking like that, dude. Yeah, dude. Big Al was like, you know what, bro? If you wear a blazer, people will take you more seriously. And <laughs> shout out to the most non-expert expert ever who lives in Texas now. I don't wear blazers. I wore a blazer for like, I think I wore a blazer for like five days in a row. And I was out in L.A. and uh, somebody was like. I don't know what you're doing with that blazer on, but you just look like an asshole trying, trying to like, like you just look like an asshole trying to fit in to a group that you're not in. And so I just took my, I took the jacket off. I felt it was a distraction. I think you should go with who you are. You who you are, huh? Yeah, go with who you are. That's like, you know, that's part of the. I think one of the things that I'm, I'm hoping to get out of this podcast 
is that New York Comics will listen to this as well because you're going to draw a lot of parallels. As I read this book, as I did a lot of research for this podcast, um, I draw a lot of parallels between us and them because I don't feel like much has changed. Like the other day we were talking about you know, how they would struggle to get from one place to another. You know, if you're, um, if you're doing really well in this business, and even back then if you were doing really well, it was a lot easier to travel. But if you're not doing really well, a lot of new beginners, you know, you're, you're spending more money to get somewhere. And, you know, and, and then the, the thing with the strip joints too is, is kind of the thing as well. It's not that we work in strip joints or burlesque anymore, but if you're, in, if you're not working in... And, and it's kind of relaxed, but I remember being the emphasis on clean was really big about 15, 16 years ago. And you had to work shittier rooms. You couldn't work like a punchline or you couldn't work a, like an improv. And if you did, they would ask if you could work clean. And it, it's, so I, I do draw a lot of parallels out of this and, and find things, you know, to be still somewhat the same, but a lot different. You know, like there's a lot of like we talk about racism you know, nowadays, and, and, you know, of course, the racism between then and now is, is a lot different. Um, Especially with comedian names, like the Marx Brothers, all their names were stereotypical names, like Groucho, he's a grouch. Right. And then, and then Zeppo, a zip, probably, I don't know. Right, who knows? And um, Chico, Italian, but they're all Jewish. Right, and then the other one was Pinko. I guess he was a communist. Was was Chico one of the brothers, or yeah, was he, he one was of the Italian. additions to the? Because they had an audition addition to the Marx Brothers. Well, yeah, but Chico was a brother. Okay, Chico, Chico was one of the brothers. Chico Marx, Chico Zeppo, and Groucho were the most famous ones. Yes, and the one and the one with um, with 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 a with a cello. What the fuck was he that? He had the harp. That harpo. Harpo. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. I didn't know any of that. Yeah, and so um, everybody had a name. Like if you were, if you were like a cop and you're Irish, it, the Mick, right? You know, the, the, uh, Mick the Mick the cop, Bill Mick the Mick yeah. the cop Michelson or some shit Michelson, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. everybody had a, and, and people it, it was not frowned upon to have like a racial bit, and not, not everybody was, was considering a racist because it was all before World War II. Well, and that was the thing, man, is that I think... World War II changed everything. Right. But what he explains in the book kind of makes sense to me is that back then everybody was an immigrant. So there was no like... There was no third generation. There was no second or third generation that was like, why the fuck are you making fun of us? There was no third generation talking about we're Latinx. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so there was, a, there was not a lot of emphasis on that, but there was a lot of racism towards the black comedians and towards the uh, Jewish comedians. Black people suffered uh, quite a bit in, in comedy um, because I, I was reading that... At first, I was thrown off. You know, we talk about Burt Williams as one of the the most prolific uh, black comedians in the vaudeville era, he had to do blackface. And when I first saw him in blackface, I was like, did, did, is this a decision of his own? But the minstrel scene, which is the blackface scene, which is black comics in blackface doing black comedy. But it, you know, and, and, and it's one thing for me to see white comics do blackface, which is totally offensive. But to make these guys do blackface because it was the only way that they could get paid and, and get on stage and do their thing. And then they had their own circuit as well, their own um, Chitlin circuit and stuff like that. I just, I, just, I, I just try to draw as many parallels 
to now. We don't necessarily have minstrel night and we don't do blackface anymore, thank God. But we still have like chocolate Sundays and like, you know, there's still a, a definite divide somewhat in comedy. Sleep with your sister Friday. Sleep with your sister Friday. Is that a real thing? Yeah, for like <laughs> blue collar comics. <laughs> But that's how offensive it was back then. People didn't care. No, no, and they didn't care. A funny one um, where somebody said that um, they're doing the people are, they're doing jokes about a lot of Swedes and German people, and they said um, they're not getting upset. And that's when Groucho Marx said, "Well, these people, Swedes, have never been oppressed." Right. You know, they've never been. These Germans have never been oppressed. They don't. Yeah. There was you know, some towns that the Jewish comics never had even dictators. You know. Right. Of course, they're not. They're not uh, those jokes. You know, it's different. You know, they're white people. Right. Yeah, and they're part of here, and that's yeah. the thing is that you know, and, and as we use words now, like buzzwords, like privilege and shit like that, that's what it was back then. Privilege. We just weren't talking about it. We just didn't think about it. And and it's not like those people didn't know that they were oppressed or that they were treated as, as second class citizens. They just. It, there was no reference to it. If you know, it's like if you're born in in like complete darkness, you you don't even know what what the light looks like. You're just gonna assume that this is the way you live your whole life. And so back then, that's how people were treated. That's how those guys were treated. I, I was reading in here that uh, I think it was the Marx Brothers that would they would show up to certain towns, or they couldn't do certain towns because they would just get the shit beaten out of them. The South. Right. And then that was the other thing, too, is can you imagine getting stuck in one of those train stations in between? And if you're... And you're, and you're a white comic with blackface still? You can't find a bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> so and, uh, the other thing, too, was um, there was a, um, there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on. There was a guy... Um, who ran uh, a show called the Ziegfeld Follies? Do you did you read about that? Yeah. Do you remember reading about that at all? I've heard of the Ziegfeld Follies. Did you hear? I know that he when he was the one who first hired Burt Williams, and his whole crew of of like musicians were and blackface, huh? And no, they were like, hey, we don't want this guy working with us. You and 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 it was. Um, it was him that was first like, well, he I think the direct quote was, well, if you don't like it, then you can leave because I can replace all of you because there's, there's, there's many of you that I could replace with, but there's only one of him. And that's kind of what made, because that's kind of what put him on the map was he was so funny. He was so, um, so well liked by both genres. And that kind and, and even though he was doing blackface, it broke the mold into black comedians performing in front of white people. You know how, how ridiculous that sounds? Hey, we don't want to work with that um, Negro, that African-American, that black person. No, he's going to be blackface. Okay. <laughs> They're like, all right, as long as he's doing blackface. That's and blackface is a weird thing too, man, where uh, they would take a burnt cork, they would like wa wash it all over their face, right? And then they would pretend to be black. And um, and again, you know, we talk about guys that crossed over from the vaudeville era to the uh, radio era. Bob Hope is one of those people that used to do blackface during the vaudeville and, and era. WC Fields, hey, kid, you're bothering me. And um, 
Mae West. Mae West did blackface? Yeah. And um, Eddie Cantor, of course. Right, Eddie Cantor did blackface. These are all, again, people that we're talking about that crossed over into radio later yes. on. Later on, and then they, 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 they wiped their face and became white comics. Bob Hope did blackface, and he stopped. And this kind of disappointed me because I always loved Bob Hope. But he used to do blackface. And then they actually told him not to do blackface, but Ooh. not for the right reasons. For what? Because his, his, it, they told him that his, his facial gestures or features, his, his expressions, is what made him his money. And, and if you look at Bob Hope, yeah, it totally did. He goes, your, your facial expressions after the jokes are hilarious. Yeah. And we couldn't see him with blackface. They can't see him, with, so they made him stop doing blackface for that reason. Otherwise, he would have kept doing blackface. They said that uh, white comedians back then, they couldn't perform without a blackface because they, they had to, they, in order for a white person to express a personality, they had to be blackface because they had no personality, that guy said in that book. Do you think that... You know, like, you see, a yeah. white, there were two straight edge or two straight face right. to do the actual act. So when you're blackface, they could be like, hey... So it had nothing to do with even being black. No. It just was like, oh, you're funny if you're wearing this fucking like, black shit on your face. Yeah. Imagine not knowing that that's racist or you're hurting people. Right. What's funny to me is that the material that they used and the whole blackface thing is like, if we saw someone doing something like that today... Outside of like, fuck you, don't do that. We would be like, that's fifth grader humor. That's like fourth grader humor. The, 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 the whole trajectory of, like when I listened to comedy back then, because I did a lot of like listening to as much old stuff as I could find. Like it's not funny to me, but people are fucking dying I, in those shows. But it's like, it's like when, um, when you're the first at that, like there was no entertainment. Right. So the first person that tickles you, man, you're never going to forget it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But there was no entertainment. Like, I was talking to a guy at a show I was there, and he said he wanted to do comedy. And he goes, the, the, the closest open mic is two hours away. And that's, this is now in 2022. His closest comedy club to perform is two hours away. Now imagine 1901 before radio or whatever year it is before radio. Right. How far do you think that town is from any type of entertainment back then? So to show up in blackface or to show up with jokes, you're a genius. You're man. a genius. You, you, my, my grandmother had never laughed. I guess Have it's like if you've before? never had salt in your life. Never. And then you put a tiny bit of salt on a potato, you're like, this is the most amazing thing I've what ever had in my brother? life. I, I would explain that feeling to these, these people who never heard comedy back then to the first time I ever had Pad Thai. Yeah, okay. When the first time I ever had Pad Thai, I felt like there was a, a bunch of people dancing on my tongue. With, <laughs> it's like a with, party. With, with uh, mobs full of spices. Wow. With mobs. <laughs> yeah, Pad Thai is pretty amazing. Yeah, I, but I, to have like... Say you were bummed all day, bro. You were working at a farm with your dad, and your your dad had just killed your sheep that you've been having sex for the last year with. You know they're gonna they, they killed her for right. dinner, and then somebody shows up, bro, with a cane and a top hat, and he's dancing, and you're you're in awe. 
<laughs> and for the first time in your life, you thought about something to do with your life other than farming, bro. Right. Like, that's how I, I that, that's the feeling I got the first time I ever heard or noticed stand up comedy. What was the first um, uh, experience of stand up that you had, had like oh, seen or watched or? We watched a, it was a, it was a thirty three album of com uh, of a comedian and we saw it and we're like, whoa, wait, it's good. I, I fell asleep and I memorized the whole thing. My first, very first experience with stand up comedy. I remember I had a friend who would listen to Bill Cosby records, but I didn't. He was I was like, what is that? Is it music? Is this not music? And so I didn't care. I didn't think it was interesting or. Or I didn't think it would be interesting, so I didn't watch or listen to it. Years later, my parents were making a big deal about getting this HBO special um, on, and they wanted they. My parents went and bought HBO for a month so they could get this special, and I never heard of Paul Rodriguez before in my entire life. But they rented HBO for a month so they could watch "I Need the Couch." Do you remember that special? Yeah. That was the first time I'd ever seen comedy. That one is wearing he has a little curly hair mullet and a sweater, huh? Yeah, I was hiding behind the couch because we weren't allowed to watch it because it was dirty. He was working blue, and uh, uh, I remember hiding behind the couch, holding my mouth, trying not to laugh, trying not to like wrap myself out. But that was my first experience with stand up. I was I was coming home from junior high school, and I was passing by these guys from the from the local gang. It was like a, a couple of cholos. And a couple of black cholos, because there was black cholos back then. That's crazy. And uh, they were chilling right there, man, with their Pendletons. And they had a boom box. And they were smoking weed and smoking 40s and listening to Eddie Murphy, Delirious. Really? And I passed by, and I, and I was on the side, you know, trying to listen. Right. And, they, and, I, and then, like, they heard me laugh. And they told me to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I, was, I, I got to the part about... How old were you? Fuck, I don't know. It's eighth grade, 14, 13. Yeah. 13, 13. And um, it was, I was 13 years old, and um, I got to... It was to the part where the guy was, um, shit, shit. My mama was um, Clean Eastwood with that, with that, with that, with that, with that um, shoe. Ah. Uh. Get off the bed. Woo, 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 woo. And, I, and I was laughing, dog, and they heard me laugh. The fuck out of here, Holmes. Did that make you want to be a cop? Was that the moment, or was? No, bro, I, I, was, I was laughing and shit. Right. So back back then, when, that's when I realized, bro, cholos laugh too. Eh? <laughs> they just don't laugh in public. Yeah, I. They go to a hide somewhere. I thought it was pretty rad that we have that, that we have a thing like that. And then growing up, I mean, my whole life, people would be like, "You should try doing comedy. You should try doing comedy." And I was like. It's the weirdest thing to me in America that we... I'm sure we... back then in 1880, 1901, 1925, if you were to tell your... If your parents were not part of the entertainment business... Yeah. It were just blue-collar people, like, working in factories, and you would have tell your dad... First of all, you would have you would have to tell your dad at six years old because by fucking 15, you're already a man. You're already a man, and then you're going to die you're, at, like... You're... 30. You're middle aged at You're 15. ready for the war, man. 16. Right. Yeah. You're a man. They're, they're setting you up with somebody. Your parents might think you're crazy. My, my father thought I was crazy that I wanted to be a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that That's pretty much. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's still the the reaction from a lot of people. But I know that now as a, as a parent, 
now that I am a father, that um, the reaction that your parents got are their fears. Right. Not your fears. They're not your fears. To them, it's like, oh, you're going to be a comedian? Because they, they know that's like a far, uh, far-fetched dream that might not happen. Because it might not happen for them. Right. But they want you to go that route. But I always talk, I always think about it like this, eh? I'd rather be miserable doing what I love than be miserable doing what I hate. Yep. I discovered that too, man. It was like, oh, get a real job. Go fucking make a living. You know, and at the time I had a kid and a wife. Um, well, actually, a little bit before that, I had just a wife. But and even back then, um, comedians had to supplement their money with a hustle. Like some comedians, like, you know, they sold, they were like, like we're getting back to the comedians that were smoking the cigars after cigars. Opium and uh, and opium. A lot of people were smoking opium. Right, back then. And then people would show up selling morphium. That's right, they did. They and a lot of those theaters were used. Busted, bro, or selling bud. Or right. The, oh, I love that great, I, I love booking that comedian. Not only is he funny, but he has great co-connections. Well, and that was the thing back then. It was like you were this comedian, you were supposed to wear clean, and you were supposed to be this, like, this um, picture of perfection. But comics, to, even to this day, uh, are not the uh, cleanest, most wholesome people I've ever met in my life. What, what, um, what led to um, you think to the end of um, the whole vaudeville and all these performing? And it must have been like a, a it must have been like what what's happening now when um, when um, Instagram and these. Um, Millennials started blowing up as, as um, TikTok. Comics. Well, something always kills something off, and what killed Vod. But you got to progress, and you got to roll, right. roll, roll with it. Well, a lot of people will say that it was radio that killed it, but I, I was reading because I know that video killed a pop star. Video killed the radio star, and and that's not. I'm honestly, that's funny that it's a song, but TikTok I don't think it's just, killed the kill MTV talk, star. Yeah, exactly. No, TikTok came after YouTube. I think YouTube killed the fucking MTV star. Yeah. But um so I did read a little bit into this and, and it was only fans killed Pornhub. They no, I don't know about that, man. Cause it's like five dollars a month to see this girl or free to see this. OnlyFans pretty much killed the peep show game. Yeah, that did do that. <laughs> like why should I why should I go to a peep show where everybody knows I'm a pervert? But I could just get an OnlyFans and have my own little private peep show. You could just stay at home. Peep that joke out. <laughs> I heard that joke had no peeps. <coughs> so what uh, What I found out was that at near the end of uh, Vaudeville, uh, when they didn't know it was near the end, um, there was there was radios about. And at the time, uh, radios were expensive and they were very, very modern technology. So uh, I think there was only about... Three million radio uh, radio sets in 1926, and at the time when radios were coming out too, the theaters and the vaudeville owners and promoters they were they were noticing that people were not going to to their shows anymore because of radio, so they they, they put a a, a a a smear campaign like everybody else when something is new. Oh man, those radios. Suck up all your ovaries. Yeah, or they'll... They'll burn your house. (laughs) That it was burn your house down. (laughs) I didn't hear the suck your ovaries thing, but they they would come up with anything to scare you away from stuff. Every new thing comes up with a scare, huh? 19... In in, um, 
1923, there were 3 million radio sets. By 1936, there were 30 million. Radio now, set. So people imagine, bro, people would turn on the radio, lean next to it, yes, light a pipe, and, and listen to Jack Benny. Right. Like as if when, you know, at, at our age, we sat and watched like Elf at night or whatever was on at 8 o'clock on a Thursday night. These people, these comedians that were on, on radio were getting paid... I think more than what people are getting paid now to do stand-up specials. Right. Oh, no, they were getting tons. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. What I think killed vaudeville or what was part of killing vaudeville... The church. Was, no, it was that uh, near the end there, um, uh, Keith Albee decided to put up huge beautiful theaters where the dressing rooms were like were, were beautiful and ornate and like when you go into the fox or you go into the orpheums now that are still around the paintings up in the wall how beautiful are there they're amazing right it's like and i've been to the orpheum theater i perform with the orpheum you were just theater. at the orpheum theater dude it is prestige it, it has it has like um Valor seats. It has um, everything's nice. Everything's nice. So what happened, and this is some of the opinions. The AMC. This is the opinions of some of the comics back then. Was that vaudeville was made for the masses? It was made for, and back then the masses was poor people. The the masses were were your regular average person. And Keith Albee tried to dress it up, and, and I think the quote was Keith Albee dressed up vaudeville theaters to kill. And it ended up killing vaudeville because people were like, I can't relate to this. It's too expensive to come in here now. It, it, and then at the same time that he was making the, they were making the comics put on uh, tuxedos and shit like that. And the comics weren't happy. And then these were like 5,000 seaters, 4,000, 3,000 seaters. And there's like 15 people because they would do two shoes, shows a day. And then they were also paying them thousands for doing that as well. So at the, as that was dying off, radio was picking up. And now we're jumping into the radio paying more era. more money, huh? Yeah, and paying way more money because now as we're getting into radio, as we're leaving vaudeville, um, vaudeville by itself, there was no sponsorships. There was no Sony corporations trying to buy shit. There was no General Electric. It was like, you go, you pay two bucks, three bucks to watch the show. And then that's how they made their money. That's how they paid their people. So you got very meager earnings, even if you were a very good comedian. But now we switch over to radio where marketing has the, now pushed the itself. That did, um Vaudeville to, to the end, or the Three Stooges started out in vaudeville. So this Three Stooges, and so it they, was they they progressed from radio to to film, or that they just died out. No, they progressed from vaudeville to radio to film, and and they did very little in radio because so they were a physical act. They were a physical act because I know that Jeff Jeff Healy because I did see the Three Stooges movie right. back in the day. Yeah. Which was the, uh, if you want to see a great, great Three Stooges movie, it's directed by Mel Gibson it, it, and it was made for television. Really? I've never even heard yeah. of this. And um, Jeff Healy, he pretty much invented the Three Stooges. Right. They, Jeff Healy used to have a show where people would dive into a water. Right. And he hired Mo Howard, and Mo Howard, one of the divers. So one That's of the, how it started. One of the dives, Ted, it's Ted Healy, by the way. Ted Sorry. Healy. Yeah. My bad. Jeff Healy is the blind blues player. Right. <laughs> He's, He's another a, guy. <laughs> Ted Healy is the blind blues player in fucking uh, Roadhouse. That's right. Ted Healy hired Mo Howard after uh, doing that, uh, doing the diving thing. 
Then a woman broke her neck and died. It broke her fucking days. neck, bro. She fell on the side of the pool. So then Jeff Healy said, screw all this. Mo, look right. at two of your brothers. And let me tell you, man, how, how, how crazy this was. Ted Healy will slap the shit out of Mo Howard. Right. Slap the shit out of Larry and slap the shit out of, um, of Shemp. Shemp was the first one, right? Shemp was a... And then actually the the brother was in it too, but he was yeah. playing the he was doing the music for the whole thing. Yeah, on in vaudeville. And fucking uh, Jeff Ted Healy will slap fucking uh, Chip right <laughs> in the face like this, smack Will Smith style. And, and then after the show, the fool rubbing his face and getting his money, he will let he'll be like, um, "Hey Ted, man, do you really have to slap me so hard?" And he'll look at Chip. Listen, motherfucker, they got to hear it in the back, too, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine, bro? Could you imagine your first job in comedy is getting the shit beat out of you? Ted Healy will pay them, what, which was $100 a week, right? And he'll keep the rest, right? Right. The whole receipts. Yeah. And then one time, Larry Fine said, hey, man, has Ted ever heard of a, heard of a, a raise, right? Right. And then uh, Mo said, hey, if you want to spend your money all the time, you know, you got the money left over. You know, I'll yeah. keep $1 for myself and send the rest home. And he goes, um, and then t- Larry looked at Mo and goes, yeah, well, nobody can, and goes, wow, no, I guess no one else can live like you, Mo, huh? Right. But Larry, fine, like most comics now, and had a, his vice was gambling, bro. And he would gamble all the time. And he would always have to borrow money from Mo. And then one time, he borrowed money from Mo. He wanted to borrow $60. And uh, Mo whipped out his penis and started peeing on Larry Fine's feet and his pants. And he go, and Larry goes, Mo, why are you peeing on my pants? He goes, because next, next time I ask you for the $60, you'll remember. <laughs> That's a good way to get somebody to pay you back. And Larry Fine never bought a house. Him and his wife just lived up, lived up hotels, room service, partying it up, getting it up. The made. whole time they partied. Yeah, party, party, time, bro. That's the thing, man. Um, and then after, sorry, after, go no, get, go after Shemp left. They got Curly, bro. And that, that became, you know, Curly. Curly was the violinist during. No, uh, no Larry the violinist. Larry was the violinist during the yeah. vaudevillian days. And it used to be called Ray Fine and his three Southern gentlemen. Yeah. No, I'm sorry, not Ray Fine. Southern um, gentlemen. Uh, Ted Healy and his yeah, three Southern, southern gentlemen. gentlemen. Yeah. So they went to the South and they, they realized there ain't no Southern gentlemen in the South. No. And um, so when they hired um, Curly, Curly had a full set of nice hair. By the way, in the movie The Three Stooges, Curly is played by um, by what's his name, man? Damn, I can't think of his name right now. But he played the commish. Oh, uh, and then he was the guy in The Shield. That same guy. Yeah, I remember that guy. Michael Chiklis. Michael Chiklis. Michael Chiklis plays the best Curly I've ever seen in my life. Okay. Like, he plays him. So Curly... Has a full set of hair, and then they they, he, they 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 cut his hair bald, and he's crying. So they had to do so. He they, they had, had to, to do the bald thing. Bald. They had to cut his hair bald. He had a full set of hair, and it was beautiful hair. 
And um, he's crying, bro. Oh, no. He goes, Mo, you're making me ugly. <laughs> Mo, you're making me ugly. And um, so when they're performing, right. man, let me tell you, man, Curly, you talk about comedian performing physically, the motherfucker performs 200%. Mo slapped him, and then Curly walks up to Mo at the end of the show. Mo, what's wrong with your hand? They got to hear it in the back, too. So that's what that. So those hits were real. Yeah, Curly said those were real slaps. Curly said you slap me harder so you can hear it in the back. Shem said, "What's wrong with you?" That's fucking hilarious. So dude. um, when the Three Stooges left Ted Healy, Ted Healy said, "I'm gonna kill you, motherfuckers, and anybody that hires the Three Stooges, I'm gonna burn the theater down." So that's why there's always a fire, a fireman or somebody at every theater. At every theater. Yeah, or a fire marshal. When they were performing. Yeah, every, every, every theater now, every movie set had a fire were they, marshal. Weren't they banned from certain places to Ted work? Ted Healy blackballed them, and he had a gun all the time. And um, so Champ was totally scared, you know, of... Um, Ted Healy. Of Ted Healy, that he would wet the bed. Really? And then Larry would be like, damn, Mo, your brother wet the bed again. So Shem left, bro, because he couldn't take the anxiety, and that's when they hired Curly. And then, bro, Curly was so famous that um, Hot Chicks, and he'll think that Hot Chicks would want to have sex with him, bro, and they would just slap the shit out of him. They just wanted to hit him. They just wanted to beat on him. And then they'll slap the shit out of him. So Not sexually. No. Just They want to slap him. They wanted to hook up with him so they could hit him and then bounce. So there's a scene where these two Hot Chicks are slapping the fuck out of him. And he walks away to his room crying, bro. <laughs> so he ended up dying, bro, of depression and, and like getting fucked up. And then Shemp comes back, right? So then Shemp dies. And then they finally hire the last three stooges, Joe. Joe said, fuck you, Mo. I don't take a pie to the face. Really? And he never took a pie to the so face. So that's what ended the, probably the, the Three Stooges. But that then. Joe ended up working more. And if you see every other Three Stooges movie, it's that Joe. It's that Joe. Okay, because that's the thing is I know there was a bunch of replacements. And that was always joked about in like the 80s for some weird reason. Yeah, Joe was in the big movies. Curly was in the little sketches. No shit. And what happened when they, when they, when they, in, the, in the movie, when they hired, when they said... I want Warner Brothers or said I want to hire the Three Stooges or Columbia, wherever it was. I want to hire the Three Stooges. They said I want to hire the Three Stooges, but no Ted Healy. Really? And then Ted Healy said, you know what? He tried to sue them. They go, I own Nyuk, Nyuk, Nyuk. He did say that. And he tried to trademark Nyuk, Nyuk, Nyuk. That's so crazy. And um, he was crazy, bro. Like There was a, there was a comedian that, that, that um, supposedly he, his claim to fame was he invented the Bloody Mary. Because he was hung over one night and he fucking put in vodka with juice and hot sauce, I guess. But he named it after Ted Healy's wife. That's this is the story that you were telling me this morning at, at breakfast. Yeah. Was that that this guy had taken his wife, right? And then he named it after her. Then he tried to shoot him later or something. Yeah, tried to kill him. Tried to kill him. Back then, bro, people would just pull the pull pull the gun out, bro. Just while well, there was no like fucking background checks. Yeah, and, man. Like Hank Williams, bro. The the way he met his wife after a show, he walked up to a guy and put a gun to his head. He goes, "I'm gonna marry your girlfriend." 
okay, all right. Things have changed since then. They're not as, can't be as direct. You have to swipe right before you can put a gun to her head. You have to see if she wants to go by they. Was there um, They, them, or he, she, she, Was she. there any female comedy groups back then? Not many. Tough, not huh? many. No, there was like a Mom's <laughs> Mabley, and that was like, well, that was on the chilling circuit. Um, and, and that was the other thing is Mom's Mabley, now that we're in this area, Mom's Mabley was uh, kind of like uh, a frontier. Like, like she... she uh, uncovered a lot of ground. She was uh, a breakthrough personality. She was groundbreaking. Well, she's groundbreaking. That's what I was trying to yeah. say. She's groundbreaking because she, there was no women in vaudeville. Period. There's not in in uh, in the in the white and in the borscht belt. There was none. And even the men didn't do it like her, huh? No, no. Moms Mabley was the very first. Like I feel like one of the very first female comedians. She I, set the bar for a brighter the future. Huh? Huge. Well, yes, definitely, definitely. And. It's funny to think all these people that we barely even talk about not only influenced the comedians to this day, because when you think about like, you know, um, who, who, who did, who inspired this person to inspire this person who inspired like George Carlin, who inspired Louis CK. So you think about the, the, um, uh, the timelines, and and you think about the trajectory of where these these comics that we now see, like Bill Burr or any Bill Hicks, Bill, you know, and where they came from, and Moms Mabley, like you were just saying, started was the very first, but that's where Richard Pryor, yes, that that led someday to Richard Richard Pryor, that led someday to Eddie Murphy, that led, yeah. And then Ma Babley, one of her jokes when I saw her in the Ed Sullivan show, because like a lot of black comedians, they were killing it in forever and they didn't get their time till later on when a white comic decided, no, this phone, I'm gonna put him in my show. So Ma Babley was on his show, and one of her bits was So the police pulled me over and said, Ma'am, didn't you see that red light? I said, Yeah. So why did you go? Because I thought that light was for us. Because y'all got green, we got red. <laughs> I mean, y'all separate everything else. So I thought y'all had red, we wow. had... Wow. You know, she, she, she made a, a Jim Crow joke. That's very bold for that Without time. Without saying a Jim Crow That's joke. That's very bold for that On time. television yeah. in the 60s. Yeah, when that was not allowed. That was not allowed at and all. And she was getting no boo... Yeah, everybody got it. it was yeah, simple. that was not, and, and you weren't allowed to be political. You weren't allowed on on TV, radio, you know. And as we move into radio now, um, you know, uh, like I said, there were. What did I write down? I wrote it down. Um, uh, Show me your comedy bible. <laughs> here's the comedy bible, and uh, <laughs> look at that. Look at all the, and then even more last night. Um, and and as we go through, you're gonna see this thing get more and more colorful. Um, but here we go. In 1923, three million ra uh, radios, and by 1936, there were 30 million. So radio had started to take over. Vaudeville fell for whatever reason. I do think it was a combination of it was too nice, and that radio was just an easier thing. The depression happened. The stock market fell. Uh, people didn't have a lot of disposable income. So going, to, you know, and two bucks back then is 
is a lot of money, so people didn't have two dollars to go to a show. But radio was free, and that was because of marketing. Marketing started to come around. You had companies like General Electric, or Hoover, or all these like companies that would pay you. Uh, I think one of them was Philip Morris, which was a uh, a cigarette brand back in the day. Camel Lucky Cigarettes Strike. had one. Lucky Strike had radio shows. And Texaco. so now we're moving into this area of like you're not just getting paid five bucks a week to work for me. I'm going to pay you five thousand, and five thousand in. 1936 Jesus Christ. is you might as well be a millionaire yes man because nobody was making five thousand dollars a year and you're doing i think eddie Cantor, who was one of the first radio personalities got a hundred dollars a minute to do a five minute monologue in 1936 it's funny how you mentioned eddie Cantor because he's supposed to be like the family man i trust him with my daughter right but he was like the he was the filthiest dirtiest uh, grab asser off stage all of them yeah yeah, remember that one time he he had a he had, he had a thing that during well during like the when they're doing the radio show yeah he liked to goose women goose it's a pretty much a nice way to say grab yeah he was like pinch their butt cheeks pinch their butt cheeks so they're doing a sketch so he pinches his girl's ass. And the girl says, "Mr. Cat." Well, he would do it because most of you're on the radio. You're you on radio, like. If someone to come grab my ass right now, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm doing this thing. I can't. Hey, dude, don't fucking grab my ass. And then that one I saw girl. saw Japanese porn like that with a woman telling the news. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. <laughs> she, had to, she had to tell, tell the news. Yeah. While sharks were passing by. <laughs> well, sharks? Nah. Are people trying to grab her ass? No, bro. It was. I don't want to get to now that. Now I want to know. All right. Hey. <laughs> She is an Asian woman and she's telling the news like Connie Chung while dudes are passing by masturbating and no way bro. oh wow okay maybe I didn't want to know and holy she's shit character like we're getting back to that girl getting paid goose. yeah so that was that that's the modern version of what happened to this lady from Eddie Cantor and Eddie fired her right she, yeah she said Mr. Cantor and then after they, they went to a commercial fire that woman fire that bitch yeah Wow, and he was, and then uh, he was sleeping with everybody, and he had a wife. He had a wife at home and five but daughters. As long as people tuned in, they didn't care, right? No, no. Well, that was the thing is nobody would believe that he was a bad Who guy. Who brought him down? Jack Benny. Jack Benny ended up bringing him down um, because um, fresher face, huh? smarter. Well, there was a there was uh, and Jack Benny came a little bit later. Actually, Eddie Cantor came along it was eddie Cantor, and then um eddie Cantor kind of fell off and was taken down a little bit uh later on uh but there was another guy that had come out and his name uh was joe penner and joe penner was kind of like he was discovered by uh rudy valley rudy valley was like a singer and he was kind of like the uh, johnny carson of that day Rudy valley by the way is the dad of frankie valley is that true I was wondering if there was a... I, I think there was a mention that he was. It, it might have, and I didn't... Maron. I, oh, that's right. There was a mention, and I just didn't put it together. Uh, Speaking this, of... This planes, is great World War II radio like this background. Is, we're, 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 we're talking about the 40s, man. We're being attacked by now. We're in Pearl Harbor. <laughs> I told you, remember when I rode the bike over there? I said they were getting ready. They were getting the World War II... <laughs> History for fools. Bush Escobar, Felipe Esparza. What's up? History for Fools. Thank you very much, Bush the Escobar. 
Thanks for watching. If you guys like this episode, don't forget to um, Our listening. subscribe up here. And uh, what's your Instagram again? At Butch Escobar. B-U-T-C-H Escobar. And you know I'm Felipe Esparza at FelipeWorld.com. And for those of you guys who are listening for the first time, thank you very much. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you are somewhere where um, there are a lot of computers available, like the Apple Store or the Microsoft Store, I suggest you grab those podcast apps that are on that computer and add our podcast. <laughs> That's a good way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys next time. Thank we'll you. See you guys next time. Okay.